Hello, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This week, the Ringer is launching a new podcast feed called Boom Bust, the new hub for narrative podcasts documenting the rise and fall of companies, celebrities, and trends. Season one, hosted by our own Alyssa Bereznak, takes you through this spectacular journey of HQ trivia, the once $100 million industry-altering company turned disaster. Alyssa interviewed dozens of former employees, investors, journalists, and fans, bringing you the behind-the-scenes story of how HQ crumbled from within. Subscribe to Boom Bust HQ Trivia and check out the first two episodes out now on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Another delicious edition of House of Carbs, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House. Taste buds, we have been trying our best to navigate food and food moments in this Q life that we're all living through, uh, of course, there are stories out there to be told. So it was time for an edition of Food News. We have our pal, Amanda Dobbins. She was on the Ringer Pantry Party just a short while ago. She's on to walk us through some cool and uplifting stories. There are heroes in the food world who deserve some shine, deserve to have their stories told. So we're telling them here on this week's House of Carbs. Let's get in that belly with our pal Amanda Dobbins. All right, my taste buds. As you know, we have been doing some shows here lately where we've been exploring the ways that all of us have been dealing with the effects of, of staying at home and cooking at home and what it's meant uh, in a lot of different kind of walks of, of food life. Of course, that means there is lots of food news out there. And today we thought it made sense to look at some of the food heroes, some of the uplifting stories in the world of food and restaurants and give some shine, give some attention to those folks. Our beloved pal, Amanda Dobbins, is on the line with us. What's up, Amanda? Hello, House. I am honored to be here for the return of Food News. So you were uh, one of our first guests on the Ringer Pantry Party, where um, lots of folks like you graciously invited us into their kitchens to, to walk uh, me and our beloved House of Carbs audience through what was going on in your own kitchen and then what how the fridge was populated. And I have a question for you from 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 that experience. We left as an open question. you you said you had some some ambition for a particular dish. That dish was you you were craving Szechuan food. And mm-hmm. you said you were thinking about some hand-pulled doodles, some Sichuan peppercorns. My question to you, Amanda, is did you do it? 
I'm really sorry to disappoint you and I haven't done it yet. I, so I have the, we had the peppercorns and I still have them in the, in the fridge and I have been cooking with them a bit to kind of scratch that ish. But the hand pulled noodles are uh, quite an undertaking. They are, you know, a, a tradition right. over hundreds of years. I, I, from, I believe from Northern China and it's really difficult. There are, there are a lot of steps and I haven't been brave enough. I'll be honest. I have watched the videos. I've thought about it. And then I've said, you know, today instead, what I'm going to do is we have ordered, um, takeout from several restaurants in the, um, in the SGV. I have, I finally did the, we've got the freezer full of frozen dumplings from Mama Lou's Dumplings House, which is very exciting to me. So But I did, instead of the noodles, I didn't do the noodles, and I'm going to try to spin a negative into a positive for you. I have one thing that I did do, which is despite growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, and being a huge enthusiast of fried chicken, I had never actually fried chicken at home. I was too scared. You know, we talked about this on the show because you mentioned chicken salad, and for a half a second there, I was confused by which kind of chicken salad, like salad on greens or, you know, the traditional mayonnaise-based chicken salad, and and uh, you confessed in that moment that you hadn't really tackled fried chicken in earnest. Please, let's hear about this. I think it's because there are many places who know how to fry chicken, like, beautifully, um, certainly in Atlanta where I grew up, and, and, and all of my, you know, grandmothers and aunts and uncles, you know, it's just like, I didn't need to be doing it. But in this particular case, I did need to be doing it. And I think it's another one where there was like the reality of like the actual frying. I don't do that every day at home. And so it seemed a little intense. And so I used a recipe by Julia Tertian. Do you, do you, are you familiar with Julia Tertian? Not, not really. She's a wonderful cookbook author. I'm using her cookbook, Small Victories, as part of my mic stand here at home. Yeah, you have a whole bunch of cookbooks as your mic stand. I do, I do. It's a beautiful array. And that's not just special for House of Carbs. That's what I use for every podcast. But um, (laughs) at the top here is the well-used Small Victories by Julia Tertian. And there is a um, buttermilk fried chicken recipe in this that we've been using. And that is fantastic, primarily because she's really good at explaining how to do stuff in a way that doesn't, that makes it not scary. And the thing that she suggests for this fried chicken is to do it in a Dutch oven or in a like in a deep pan so that wow. you don't have to be as scared about the splatter um, or just the mess. Somehow it made it seem like a, a lot more accessible. And so you marinate the chicken for 24 hours in buttermilk and some spices and then you just fry it. And she like calmly explains how to fry it. And I did it. And it's amazing. Oh, I, what a, what a victory. <laughs> A rare Q life success story. <laughs> it really is. It's it it has felt like discovering a superpower of some kind. And I know that there are millions of people who know how to do this and like lots of different recipes. I would love to hear other people's suggestions. But this was a very special day for me in my home. It's your own personal uh, discovery. This is you growing as a person. And this is what the thing, you know, that we all thought at the beginning of this stay at home exercise that was uh, an opportunity for all of us to grow a little bit, some inward reflection. And here you are with your own brand new fried chicken life. It's spectacular, Amanda. 
It's really exciting. I just have to not do it every day because eating fried chicken every day would would ultimately be a problem. Well, I, I mean, sure, I guess. But, you know, here, here at House of Carbs, we are strong, strong uh, fried chicken proponents, as you know. Well, that's great. That's a that's a wonderful success story. Congratulations. And um, I'm glad to hear, honestly, the San Gabriel Valley, you know, for, for where you live, that's not an easy haul. You know what I mean? But like you guys doing the, your part with keeping the independent restaurants, just making that small contribution, well, I'm, I'm psyched to hear it. Yeah, we've been driving. You know, one thing I'll say is that it, it is easier to drive to the SGV um, from where I live in, in Hollywood these days than it used to be. Sure. And, you know, we went on a weekend and it did feel a lot more accessible. But yeah, we have been trying to spread out, you know, do the takeout, do the produce boxes between independent restaurants, doing what we can, getting that um, box of wine, though, again, not every day. That would be bad. <laughs> And, you know, from our perspective, it's been amazing to see all the different ways that all the restaurants have kind of started new services and are and are trying to figure out a, a very scary problem. We're doing our best. I hear it. Well, look, we have some great stories and, and they're all like positive uplift, you know, <laughs> focused on folks that, that have been um, doing their part to make the best out of the situation. But, you know, Part of of your oeuvre at the at the ringer, <laughs> you're you're a podcast goddess. You're you're doing podcasts, you know, on the daily. It's the big picture. It's TV concierge. It's jam session, and I just wanted to touch base briefly on a recent jam session you and Juliet did that focused. One of the segments was on this disagreement between. Well, I don't know if disagreement is the right word, but this hurt feeling exchange involving Allison Roman, who's been a guest on our show, and Chrissy Teigen, the world famous model, uh, chef in her own right, and TV mm -hmm. personality, very well-known person. And it had to do with Allison Roman in an interview talking about, you know, sort of her own career trajectory and what she sees in front of herself and how she's sort of thinking about it. And how she can't relate to the idea of using her own kind of food focus to then convert it into to like the, the selling of products. And she mentioned a couple folks by name in, in her uh, articulating how that path wasn't for her, it seemed. She said it in a way that was kind of hurtful. And Chrissy Teigen, in fact, was hurt by it. So that that that's the story. Since then, they've made up, right? Yes. Alison Roman um, did two apologies. Christy Teigen has accepted them. Christy Teigen has been um, advocating um, for Alison Roman. They have made up. And, you know, we did talk about this on Jam Session. That's my podcast with Juliette Littman, who is also a big House of Carbs a regular. And the original Food News host. I mean, the original Food News host. It's yeah. here we are. It's a crossover event. So we talked about this story in terms of it It became a, an internet saga very quickly. And um, there was a lot of commentary around it. And on Jam Session, we talk a lot about celebrities and celebrity strategy and really publicity and how people speak in public and how they manage who they are in public and how that can lead to fame and success or it can lead to other things. But this Chrissy Teigen, Allison Roman incident became not just about what those two people said to each other, but um, started to become part of a larger conversation that was already happening about 
who becomes successful in the food world and why and what food and recipes and cultures they are using um, in order to become successful. So this is exactly why I raised this this point with you is because today, as we're taping this show, there is a new long form article up on Eater.com, our, our, our pals there. Navneet Alang is the author, and the story is called Stewed Awakening. And I have to confess, I haven't had time yet. It's still early enough on the East Coast. I haven't read it all the way through. But the thrust of it has to do with um, establishment food media, both sort of online and in print, and that essentially white perspective, mostly white perspective, as kind of the, the the delivery mechanism for ingredients and dishes and food pathways from a whole variety of worldwide cultures and and how, you know, in some small part, the disagreement with between Alison Roman and Chrissy Teigen had, had a role in that. Have you had a chance to look at this article? I have read this article and I'm so grateful for it because it has been something that I have been thinking about myself as a person who is a, the Allison Roman cookbook is another of the cookbooks in my cookbook stand. And I use uh, the New York Times cooking app like really religiously. And I'm a huge fan of Bon Appetit. And I'm, I'm a fan of all the establishment media entities named in this piece. And I do also learn a lot about food and food from cultures that I am not as exposed to um, through these places. And so I'm learning through them through an intermediary and I'm learning about new ingredients or how to use new ingredients and bringing them into my own life, which is, you know, a, a white lady in California with a, you know, fridge full of kale, which just to really lean into the stereotype of myself. And, but how I'm learning about them, how I'm using them and who I'm learning from. And it's not a, it's not a perfect process right now, even though I'm really grateful to all of those media um, organizations that I just listed. And I think the the piece talks about, I, I think the piece is very fair because it, it talks about the fact that we do learn about other people and cultures through cooking and that, um, you know, at some point it is an exchange and um, giving people an education can be a good thing, but also that there needs to, maybe not needs to be, but that we're not always rewarding in a one-to-one, like the origin and and the result. So I thought it was really interesting. And it's something that I'm just thinking a lot more about as I cook and as I use recipes. Like I thought it was cool to see this eater piece and I hope to read more like them. Yeah. And I uh, am excited. You know, I, I was obviously very intrigued and this is why I wanted to make sure that we talked about it today mm-hmm. because it does. I, we were lucky enough very early in this show, House of Carbs, to have the author uh, Michael Twitty on. Um, and he's he's more than just uh, a cookbook author. He's also, you know, a uh, historian of the African diaspora and, and you know, the how African food made its way to Southern cooking. And, you know, he's done a lot of um, sort of recreations of the ingredients at the time that those food ways arrived here in the United States. And, you know, he's a a, a really terrific conduit. I I highly recommend, you know, his, his book, The Cooking Gene, but it touches on 
a lot of the themes that we're talking about. So I'm excited to see this article. And I just wanted to call folks' attention to it since we have this opportunity. We're, we're convened here today. Uh, and I had a, I, I, having re- recalled that you and Juliet talked about that Allison Roman story, I wanted to make sure that we, we covered that base. Um, I'm psyched to read it. So let's talk about some food news. So I, I, we have a list of things. I'm just going to, I'm going to surprise you. You ready? Please. Yes. The first one. And as you said, this is a, um, a positive themed or a, a turning some negatives in, into positive themed episode of food news, um, which is possibly, you know, the theme of some aspects of the food and quarantine in general. The first piece that I want to bring is from the New York Times, and it's called To Fight Waste and Hunger, Food Banks Start Cooking. It's by Brett Anderson. It is talking about how um, food banks who have been receiving like a very large supply of of fresh produce just because of how the supply chain has changed in um, or been broken in this country are now pivoting to like cooking a lot of that food and finding ways to prevent the waste and turn all of this this extra food into meals that people can actually use. And it spotlights a lot of different food banks around the country and is just an example of people solving problems in, a, in an inspiring way. I'm psyched to hear this story. And, and Brett Anderson is also a pal of ours. Uh, so good job by Brett on this story. We had Jason Gay from the Wall Street Journal on last week. And that conversation went all over the place, as you would expect. But one of the things that we we did talk about, and, and we were um, celebrating some of the work of Jose Andres, who I think we're going to talk about today. Also, um, because, you know, we have been at the at the ringer and House of Carbs in particular doing our our best part, our small contribution, trying to raise money. You know, God bless the podfather, Bill Simmons. You know, the ringer has made a pledge of raising two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for the Jose Andres uh, World Central Kitchen, which is all over the, the country preparing meals for people who need them, including, you know, obviously frontline folks uh, in who are providing health support and, and, and in hospitals and people, you know, providing infrastructure support, you know, bus drivers and, and subway and, and all, all the rest of it all over the country doing those meals. But in, in the course of that conversation, Jason and I talked about the food bank phenomena across the country. You see these stories um, in the paper and on television, and it reminds of the enormous food insecurity that we suffer from here in in the United States and ingenuity of the food banks. In the first place, the people donating their time, volunteering, and putting themselves in a kind of harm's way by assembling to build boxes of food for people in relatively close quarters and then coming into contact with people to deliver that food. A lot of heroes at a lot of these food banks but this particular story, this ingenuity, this innovation, where the banks themselves are taking food that might spoil otherwise and then turning it into something that has a little bit of durability. I mean, that's a new sort of slant on this. Did the story imagine that this is something that that had the ability 
you know, going forward that I don't want it to be permanent, right? Because we don't want there to be 30 million people out of work. Right. And and as I think uh, you and Jason talked about last week, which I thought was a great conversation, you know, this reveals in a lot of ways issues that um, did already exist. And you don't want anyone to have to go through this lesson in order to learn it. But you do hope that some of these solutions that people are coming up with can be more um, more permanent going forward. This piece is more about just the the fact that these people have figured out major solutions. It because it, it I think it's really unusual for a lot of these um, these food banks. I mean, you just think about the logistics of it. There's a great quote in here from um, Leandra Foreman, who is a restaurant trained chef who runs the kitchen food chain in Lexington, Kentucky, and she's talking about like. I see 10,000 pounds of butternut squash and have to figure out how to turn it into lunch. And to me, that was just an illustration of like the scale of this because so much of this is about taking um, food from the farmers who no longer have a place to sell it and figuring out ways to get it to people who need it. But there is all this intermediary of it's a lot of food and you need like a very large kitchen. There are logistics. There is like, it is a really new set of challenges that is outside of what their traditional um, operating system was like. So I think this is this story is more about people just figuring it out. And I have felt, honestly, in so many ways in the last few months, like you, you see a situation and it's really, it's overwhelming. And that that sense of like, I don't know what to do. What's amazing about these people is they're like, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to figure it out. And they do. And that's what I found incredible about this story. Yeah, that's the ethos. And, and you know, our, our pal, um, David Chang, through his own sort of social media and other places, anybody that will give him the opportunity to talk has been championing, you know, the interests of, of independent restaurant oper- operators. But one of the sort of in, informing kind of uh, uh, messages is, you know, the thing about restaurants is their capacity to figure stuff out. And that really, to me, is what you're talking about here. And it does, to me, seem like, you know, we're there isn't um, going to be a return to the way things were. I don't think that's really possible um, for a whole sort of variety of reasons. Um, We don't have a way out yet in terms of, you know, everybody feeling safe and secure and able to sort of get back into places where we can all be near each other. I mean, there's a whole myriad of challenges in front of us. But this kind of innovation, to me, does feel like um, there could be a kind of permanence. Now, again, it would be great to not have to need food banks. It would be better if people were had stable employment and were able to earn money and then take that money and go buy the groceries that they want for themselves and, and, and care for their families and friends. But as long as food banks are out there, this kind of innovation, this kind of figure it out uh, stuff, I mean, this is what 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 we're we're doing. This is what we're all about. I'm not going to stand up and sing the Star Spangled Banner, Banner right now, Amanda, but you know. No, I agree with you. It really is inspiring. And you, everyone I do think looks for these, these moments of hope and also just as a model of what can you do? Well, kind of like here is a model of, of, of what you can do. I wanted to share with you one more detail from it um, that I just, I thought was so lovely. So another of the, of the food kitchens is in, um, 
is, is in South Florida, where they obviously have a lot of citrus. And so here is Chrissy Benoit, who is the general manager of a food bank in South Florida, who is is going to plan to do with that. She's like, we want to do a lot of citrus marinades. You get a ton of flavor and it adds juiciness to the meats. We see a lot of oranges, lemons, and limes around here. And I like I just loved the the specificity of that and the making do, not just the making do, but um, turning quite literally lemons in this case into maybe not lemonade, but like a lovely marinade and making the best of it and um, or or making it slightly better, at least, if not the best of it. And I I thought it was great. Yeah, I'm I'm here for it. All right. Well, that's a great story to, to, to kick this off. Let, let's hit a couple other high notes. So we mentioned Jose Andres and I, you and Jason Gay spoke about him and all the incredible work that he is doing last week. And I think we're just going to do that again. This is really a, a profile of, of Jose Andres on CNN Business. And the headline is why this chef keeps showing up at disaster zones. And it's a great overview of the work that he has been doing for a, a decade now with right. the World Central Kitchen. And why he's doing it and 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 again some of that infrastructure of like how it works and what we were just talking about um was a little bit of an example of things breaking and people not having that infrastructure and very quickly putting it into place but i think what's been so amazing about jose andres is that he has already been working on this infrastructure he identified that getting people food after a disaster is like a, is a real problem and here are some ways how to do it. Not just the humanity, but although the humanity is like extraordinary in what he's doing, but also just the the effectiveness and the logistics. It's very hard to do what he does at the scale that he does. That's the whole point. I mean, well, that, that's not the <laughs> whole point, but to, that is a, a one of the points that's most fascinating to me, which is, you know, you basically had a chef, a successful chef who knew how to do food across a number of restaurants in a number of, of places and relatively upscale, all of his restaurants in Washington, they're very accessible, but they're, they're nice. You know, I mean, it's not like white tablecloth necessarily. You, it, they're open and welcome opening and, and well, it's a welcome kind of experience, but how does a guy like that think about his own sort of station in life and recognize, okay, I, I can do something meaningful when folks um, run into something awful and I want to jump in and, and, and do it. So he, he did it right. I think Haiti was one of the first, the earth, uh, there was, you know, the massive earthquake in Haiti was one of the first things. And it was like, I'm going to call up this person that I know that can provide air transport. And so we, we sort of get the getting there part gets solved. And then you know, the, the actual physical cooking aspect of it. And that's the part of it to me that is so fascinating. Like the scale, how can you turn out 10,000 meals in a day in a place that's been, you know, laid way, laid the way spot by an earthquake. And I honestly feel like, you know, J Jason, um, made the semi-serious, observation that this guy should be in the running for a Nobel prize at some point. Um, but he could also, I think, go to Harvard business school and do logistics, you know, do a course on, on logistics or any business school. It doesn't have to be Harvard, any business school in the country. Right. And, and do like 
let me let me talk to you about the challenges and this is how we thought about it and this is how we conquered it, right? Yes, absolutely. There is both he is a, a really inspiring spokesperson as well. And I think that, you know, this piece and all the work that he does, he can speak about why the work that he does is, is so important and what food means to people, which I, you know, is important connecting to people, but then just backs it up with just like a massively sophisticated organization that already exists. And that's kind of what I keep thinking about is that the, I have felt a lot that um, in recent weeks, and we don't have to go down to policy things, but a lack of preparation and a lack of foresight. And this is a person who saw a problem and understood what food means to 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 people, not, you know, both in an emotional way, but in a literal way and figured out all of the issues and and is and is now just kind of like, OK, where do you need me next? And, and it's it's his innovation on this. It's a nonprofit, a non-governmental nonprofit. Now, he does have to collaborate with the local governments to make sure that he's meeting the, the standards, but also the best, most effective way for him to get you know the most food to the most people is to be in in concert with, in partnership with local officials and and the you know, like the police, the fire. Those are the people that 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 need to do the eating, right? They're they're public employees that are in the first sort of you know in, in harm's way in the first place. So it is a public-private partnership. It does you know we again we won't go down this policy thing, but like you know local governments could could take a lesson in terms of the resourcefulness and thinking about for their own selves. How can you, um, you know, what are lessons to be learned from from this guy and his outfit? Yes, absolutely. I mean, get everybody who's making decisions a, a copy of his PowerPoint is <laughs> is what I have to say. That's it. Um, That's yeah. it. In this PowerPoint <laughs> life, he could go on Zoom and give it. I know. That's true. Yeah, it's really inspiring. I wanted to share one more Jose Andres related thing with you. So Do that it. is this. So it, all of the work that he's been doing is like incredibly important. And and you have been focusing on it so much. And, you know, the ringer obviously is, is raising money for the world central kitchen. So we'll continue to talk about that, but I just great Instagram presence from him as well. He posted a um, 10 minute Instagram video last week from his home with his daughter, Carlotta, and they gave you, they said it was 10 kitchen tips for quarantine, but really it's nine because they only got to nine. And (laughs) he has, they're in the home and he has kind of his stations laid out and he's going one through the other, giving you like quick tips. I'll give you a couple. I don't want to spoil all of them. You know, number one is how to make a beautiful creamy dressing for an avocado with like the last bit of mayo that's in the jar that you never really know what to use. I had this last night and I like, unfortunately, I did the squeeze bottle instead of the jar. So I couldn't do what Jose Andres taught me, which I felt really bad about. (laughs) But I had watched it and I was like, oh, that's great. The second tip is what to do if you have an annoying party guest who keeps oh. coming into the party being like, what can I do? What can I do? Give me a task. And he suggests asking them to pe- peel blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that seems rude. 
I, that's the point. And what I liked is he was like, they'll never come back and you'll be very happy. You know, it's, he's, he's prepared for all situations. Okay. There, you know, there's a cocktail, there's how to peel a tomato. There's what to do if you don't have milk, but you do have uncondensed milk. Oh, okay. Which I, I have had condensed milk in my home for a, a long time. It's one of the key ingredients in a key lime pie, but oh. I had never thought about the fact that you could uncondense it, even I, though it's it's there in the title. It, it, it does seem like it. I have led a nearly milk-free life since my, my son was born because we found out early on that he has a milk allergy and we've been in plant-based milk-like drinks and, you know, all right. made, you know, the milk industry doesn't like it if you call all those drinks milk, but <laughs> almond milk and oat milk and plant-based milk and all that, that soy milk. That's been my life for mm-hmm. about eight or eight or nine years. But I I mean, let me hear it. How do you uncondense the condensed? You put water in it and stir. Okay. That's, that's I it. mean, that's what I would have guessed. If you said sure. to me. I understand that it's unbelievably obvious. And I understand <laughs> like I like I, I get it. Trust me. And also that it literally says condensed milk on the can. Like I do understand individually what those words mean. And also I have a knowledge of how to uncondense something. But in a million years, it never would have occurred to me. I, I think it's something because the consistency of condensed milk, you know, often also I have sweetened condensed milk. That's right. Of course. That's it. That That's right. So once the sweetens in there, it's like it's taking me farther away from the original product. But the consistency is very syrupy in a way that I just kind of and and sticky. So you don't think that it's going to make its way back to milk. So there's just something about like the distance between the product itself and the origin that I just... I don't know. I I just wasn't thinking about it. There are a lot of other things to be thinking about. I agree with you. The degree of difficulty seems very high to get it restored to what we would traditionally think of milk. And if you're in that moment, semi-panic moment, like I have this recipe that calls for milk and I can't go get milk uh, right now, it'll ruin my flow. Trying this this technique, uh, you know, is fe- it could feel daunting because um, you want to get it right. You don't want to blow the recipe with with some uncondensed right. condensed milk. He really did. Just I want to tell you on the video, he poured water in it and stirred, and then it looks like milk. <laughs> and I was just like, it's like I'm a four year old watching a science project. I was like, oh my god, it's so good. I love it. <laughs> So those are the type of tips I, you know, given with like real flair. And also there is like a timed element for it, even though there is no reason to be because they're just in their kitchen. And it's, you know, it's very charming. He's with his daughter. He's making fun of his daughter, but in a loving way. It's great stuff. I recommend the content and useful tips on what to do if you don't have milk. You know, uh, Amanda, this is great. I I am going to, at the end of this, I'm going to go and I won't make you sit through it. And I'm going to remind everybody all these these things that we're pointing them towards. We have Michael Twitty's book. We have this great story in Eater.com, Stewed Awakening. We have Jose Andres' Instagram. This is what we're here for, Hungry Homies. We're here for you, my hungry people. All right, Amanda, I think we have time. Let's do one more story, one more uplift, and, 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 and I'll let you get on with your podcast star day. Okay. Oh, I don't know about that. So this is I, this is more of a video, 
And I'm wondering whether you've seen it. So it is what a Maryland bar came up with in order to enforce social distancing as they reopen. And this is something that I caught on Twitter. That's um, just this is one of those pure viral things where a video comes up and you're, and suddenly you know about it. But they're essentially uh, bumper cars, but tables. Have you seen this? Inner tubes. Yes. It yes. seems like people are going to have a bumper car interacting experience, right. but they are in inner tubes. Correct. And yes. they're not small inner tubes. No, they're not. These are not beach. This is not going to the beach and putting on a blow up, uh, you know, ring. I think they're probably six feet. One thing that I've learned is that I um, six feet is... Um, a different length to everyone. It's a hard thing to measure, you know, and and I have never been um, one with a great depth perception. So it's particularly hard for me. So in that sense, I like that there is like a literal measurement. It is pretty clever. I do want to note that this is being interact- enacted at a bar. So you are putting people in giant inner tubes and then giving them alcohol and then telling them to interact. So... I do hope that everyone at this Maryland bar is safe in the in the long term. And I mean, it it is kind of achievable, right? It only needs to be 36 inches because if you, if you have three feet and the other person has three feet, then there's your six feet, right? You're not. And that it, is from, true. From what I saw, it looked like I don't know if it was the purveyor uh, themselves, the the restaurant bar who was responsible for this, or if the individuals. It looked like there was some decorating going on, like the, the, the portion of it where you, you're, you're sighted inside of it, but the ring is too big. So, mm-hmm. because you, 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 your own, your own person isn't, isn't, um, thick enough to, to sit inside of a, an inner right. tube of that size. So there has to be some kind of like a uh, mechanism to, to have it, you know, connect to your body. And it looks like people were, do you know what that was? That inner ring? aspect of it? Well, so I thought that that was the table itself because oh, they're technically, they're billing brilliant. these as inner tube tables, right? Because yes. if you, if you think about it, if you have an inner tube around you, you can't, right. then I don't know how long people's arms are again, you know, not great with, with measuring Amanda Dobbins, but <laughs> it's, it's going to be hard to reach a table. So you got to have a portable table. And also then the table is self-contained. And so you don't have to be exchanging with other people. It's very clever. I do wonder whether it's scalable. I I don't think it is, but you know, particular uh, restaurant slash bar also had the benefit of being near the water, right? Yes. Yes. So, and so like their nautical theme. Now the thing that you touched on a bit ago, we don't want anybody to get, uh, so inspired by the alcohol component to think that it would be fun to just go jump in the water with their inner tube table. I mean, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me if, if, if it happened. I'm giving points for ingenuity here, right? That's like yes. the theme of this podcast and it's a very clever idea. I do hope that everyone is uh, safe and responsible when using it. That's, well, I will say, you know, speaking of that ingenuity, I've heard of a story um, where a restaurant here locally that has its own parking lot is is setting up tables. In You can reserve a parking space and they will come out with a table, you know, dinnerware and set it up in that in that space. And then they don't put somebody in the space next to you there. They do one over. They skip That's a smart. space. Yeah, so you can do some some lovely outdoor dining. The weather on the East Coast is beautiful right now. Some nice alfresco dining. 
this kind of ingenuity. It's 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 inspiring. Amanda, I am going to let you go, but I uh, have been over the last, you know, several of these shows and and other shows talking about my newfound admiration for one Guy Fieri. Mm-hmm. And yes. I I've I've confessed I am now a, a staunch uh Fieri truther. <laughs> and I've greatly admired uh what I've seen on the Food Network over the last, you know, handful of weeks, several weeks of the shows that he's doing. He's repurposing, you know, some of the Triple D shows, some of those personalities. They're sending him food. He's making it at home. And it's been inspirational in its own way. I just want to touch base on the fact that one of the stories on, on, on our list was him and Rachel Ray doing um, giant donations to to food charities and restaurants and super service worker funds. Just, you know, I, I, I now might have to just have the Guy Fieri moment on, on House of Carbs. It's just going to be the Fieri corner. I don't have to come up with a name for it, <laughs> but uh, shout, shouts to Guy. Keep doing it, my guy. Keep doing your, your thing. Rachel Ray and Guy Fieri give big to food charities, restaurants, service worker funds. That's one of the things that, that the hungry homies out there can, can check out and props to my main man. Absolutely. Everyone using their platform to do what they can, which is a theme of all of these events, all of these news stories that we've covered. It's, it's really inspiring. It's a theme for us too. Yeah. (laughs) We're all doing our best. Amanda Dobbins, an awesome food news. Thank you so much for coming on and best of luck with the hand noodles. I want you to do them. I really dying for you to do the hand noodles. I'm always glad to be here with you, and I'm very glad to have been here for this public challenge because now there's accountability. So now I got to do it. <laughs> you got to do and, it. And I'm, I'm going to do a lot of research and try to and learn, and I, I promise to try. You conquered the fried chicken. I mean, I know the noodles are different, but it, it can be done. <laughs> it's true. The noodles require more just like uh, hand coordination, which uh, is another of the struggles <laughs> of Amanda Dobbins. It's death perception and using my hands to make things look good. But I will I will do some research. I will try to learn. You've put me on notice in public, so I'm going to do it. I believe in you. I know you can do it. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> Thank you. All right, my culinary comrades, there we go. Quick shouts to some of the folks that we mentioned in today's episode. Check out Michael Twitty's book, The Cooking Gene. Check out this story up today on eater.com, Stewed Awakening. Check out the cookbooks that you're going to see on our Instagram at the House of carbs. We had Amanda send us a picture of what she's using as her microphone stand. It's going to be on the IG. Taste buds, we're rolling along here on House of Carbs. We Everybody's eating and drinking, so we're going to keep putting out shows. We have next week, I think, a show that might be a little more liquid in nature. Until then, my hungry homies, let's stay hungry and thirsty out there. 